So we're in a series called The Burden is Light, um, and uh, Michael, I think we got, so there we go. Um, so uh, we're in week three of this series. The first week we looked at comparison and how we can just live free from uh, the, uh, that sense of constantly wanting to compare our lives to other people's lives, and we always feel a bit like, no, oh, rats, my life isn't that good, how Jesus invites us into a place of being deeply content. Uh, with uh, with where we're at, and uh, and he he teaches us uh, to to live in gratitude, and it's such a lovely place to be living in when you're living from deep gratitude for all that's God's given you. Uh, last week was a was a rather um, long buffet. I was in horror when I went to edit the podcast uh, at the length of. Um, of the sermon, so my sincere apologies for that. There was a real, I even tried to trim it to make it not look as bad, but it's just bad. So there was a long, long there was about three sermons in there, and I'm blaming COVID just because we can, because uh, that seems to be that everyone's punching bag right now. But uh, And last week we looked at a whole lot of stuff, like rest uh, needs to be stronger than exhaustion, peace greater than angst, solitude that serves relationships, and a deep devotional life that helps us not only minister, but find our ministry as, as we have that deeper develop devotional life. Um, this morning, I want to uh, look at living from mercy, not judgment, that uh, Jesus invites us to be people of mercy, not judgment. And, uh, and we've been drawing um, some stuff from a book called The Burden is Light by John Tyson. Today, I'm drawing heavily. Last week was more of a buffet of ideas from the world of Sam, but this is, um, I'm going to quote uh, significant passages from uh, that book, which is really good. And we're coming from, as I prayed, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That learn from me is really key. Uh, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. All right. Um, I went to the dentist this week. Uh, first time in how many years, Jen? At least five. Um, I reckon it was more than that probably, but it's been a long time. Um, and, uh, and I got my first ever fillings. Uh, I, went in there, I went in there quite arrogantly, actually, because I haven't had fillings, and I went to the dentist about 10 years ago, uh, and I didn't get any fillings. And Jen couldn't believe it. She was so jealous, uh, and, and not at all. She just like, this made no sense with my dental hygiene routine, how I would have. And so I went into, uh, into the dentist this time, and just really quite smug, you know? I was like, Yep, have a look, mate. You'll be amazed. And he was like, one, two, three. <laughs> and so I had to have five fillings on uh, Wednesday, which is very humbling to acknowledge before my church family. Um, and, and the wallet, sheesh. And then it's like the guy at the end's like, oh, yeah, we're trying to just build our online profile. So we'd love to, I'm going to send you a text and, and would you leave a review? And I'm like, sheesh, mate. <laughs> The anesthetic hurt, the procedure was uncomfortable, the dentist chair is a little taste of hell, and hopefully I never have to go back. But apart from that, it was wonderful, you know. It's like, well, you know. Um, we went out for a curry last night, actually, and, uh, and Mike Moriarty ordered Indian hot, and he certainly did not get Indian hot. He got, he got Kiwi mild, and he was really upset because he'd been talking a big game all night about how tough he was and how he was going to smash back this Indian hot thing, and he discovered they, they got it wrong. And so hopefully you haven't left any reviews, mate. Um, I found these really funny reviews. It's because it's interesting. We we were um, asked we're asked actually to judge a whole lot. Uh, you know, it's kind of our culture these days. So this was online. This is like a Swiss, a Swiss Army knife. I tried to file my nails, but in the process, I accidentally fixed a small engine that was nearby, which was nice. What's the next one, Mike? 
Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, these sugar-free gummy bears that might, you know. So these, I ate six of these to aid along with some uh, indigestion. The good news is my digestive system is back on track. The bad news is I will never eat another gummy bear and may have flashed part of my soul down the toilet. <laughs> All right, next one. <laughs> This is half a keyboard that the guy bought. Dust board is very good. Uh, tra- I can't even read that anyway. That's obviously half a... <laughs> fave, fave stars. Uh, so this is for an um, all-sop wrist assist for ergonomic wrist rest for support and flexibility. And so this is for people, there's a review. Then pretending to be uh, the, the team that made this. Thanks for joining me today, team. We need to come up with a packaging design for our ergonomic wrist rest. What is our target market? Primarily people with weak injured wrists. I would expect a large amount of them to have arthritis. Okay, should we wrap it in plastic and cardboard and make it impossible to open? Yes, <laughs> ideal. Use all the glue. How much glue? Every last drop we have. <laughs> make those limp-wristed weakly suffer. <laughs> Next one. <laughs> I ordered this when I was drunk because I thought it was a giant ice cream sandwich. It's not. It's a beard. Not the $150 ice cream sandwich I wanted. <laughs> Next one. Uh, next one, there we go. <laughs> I can't count the number of times I've been out and about and in need of an emergency yodeling pickle. <laughs> I've tried wrapping avocados, howling broccoli, and on one occasion that I'd rather forget an aubergine that sang the whole of Wagner's ring cycle, but they're all poor substitutes. You can imagine my relief on learning that my quest is at an end. All right, so I spent a disproportionate amount of my sermon prep time looking through these uh, funny uh, reviews. But we live in a culture of reviews. We live in a culture that asks us to judge and to critique. And, uh, and I want to speak today about laying down the heavy weight of judgment and walking in the light way of mercy. Jesus talked about this a lot, and it's quite confronting some of the stuff he says. We're going to have to unpack it well uh, because there's, there's, you can pendulum swing here. Um, but in Matthew 7, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said the, these very famous words. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So this is like, this is a big deal. And in our like PC culture, like there's a, it's like, oh yeah, you know, no one has any right to say anything about anyone else because that's their thing, man. And so, uh, which is not what this passage is saying at all. And again, there's some stuff that gets lost in uh, the English translation, which, and I know that preachers say that all the time. And you're like, oh, you know, but it's true. The English language is so limited in terms of expression compared to most other languages, actually. Uh, and certainly uh, for Hebrew and Greek, there's so much nuance and, um, and labor to words and all different things, so that when someone said something like the word judge, there would be a whole lot of nuance around it, depending what sort of word they used. And so let's look at this word judge, krino in the Greek, by looking at Craig L. Blomberg's The New American Commentary and Exegetical and Theological Exposition of Holy Scripture, Volume 22, Matthew. So he, uh, he says the this. Um, this word judge can imply to analyze or evaluate as well as to condemn or avenge. So when the original hearers who Jesus say that word, they're like, oh, there's a number of kind of facets to this word. And so the former senses, which are this thing of to analyze and evaluate, are clearly commanded of believers. So, so you're called to discern and try and suss out what's going on in people's lives or in uh, you know, you've got to discern lots and lots of things. But the later are reserved for God. And even on those occasions when we render a negative evaluation of others, our purposes should be constructive, constructive not re- retributive. Retributive. Re- retrib- 
retributive. Thank you, friends. It makes sense. Okay. So uh, we need to uh, analyze, evaluate, discern. And again, the classic thing here about the do not judge thing is that um, at times it's not judgment if it's facts. Am I right? So the whole, it's like, if you punched me in the nose, it's not like, hey, you know, don't judge me, bro. You know, it's like, no, you actually punched me in the nose. Like, there's just the fact. That's what, you know, if someone says something nasty, it's not like you're judging them. You know, it's like, no, the reality is they have a nasty piece of work because they said something nasty to you. And so we've got to deal with it. Does that make sense as well? So we've got like, got, sometimes we can pendulum swing here. And good theology is often holding two truths in tension. So it's a thing of, of don't judge, but, make, but, but you need to discern. In this day and age, crikey, do you need to have a grow in discernment because we're bombed with all sorts of stuff these days and, you know, and media have agendas and left and right stuff and political stuff and you've got to get pretty good at discerning what's going on, okay? So, but, but we're not there to condemn people or to avenge people. Summing this up, Jesus is inviting us essentially to stop criticizing others to stop criticizing others. We live in a culture that's permeated with a critical spirit, permeated with a critical spirit. Don't believe me? Go to Twitter right now and have a little wander around and see you know, what's going on. It's just really, and it's heavy. Like it's a heavy yoke. It's not like, a, it's not like we leave, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I don't know why I go on Twitter. I just, I like torturing myself, I think. There's a sick part of me that loves just, because like, you don't leave just going, ooh, light and easy, ah. You leave just like, ugh, I have no faith in humanity. Ugh, the world is so screwed. Ugh, you know, and it's just like, yay. It's a heavy yoke to, to wear. And, and like any sin, which criticizing people is, it's damaging. And Jesus went in strong on this because a critical judging spirit is incredibly destructive in relationships. John Tyson says this, the danger of a critical spirit is that it creates a false power dynamic in our relationships. Judgment is based on the faulty assumption that we are in the right in every situation and that our opinion is called for and must be expressed. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Everyone's like, oh, no, not a sermon like this. Let's just plow through this and get to the mercy bit, okay? (laughs) Hold on. So Paul had to deal with this uh, in a few different times. Uh, the church in Rome, he had to challenge. Uh, this church is fascinating. Like the church in Rome is this massive melting pot of different backgrounds and cultures and religious histories, which is a lot like this church and like healthy churches. There's just a beautiful diversity that makes it challenging, uh, but uh, is healthy. And then so the, the, here we go. Just prepare for conviction maybe if... Uh, your inner Pharisee's wigging out right now. Uh, Romans 10. I'm going to say it gently because I'm that guy. All right. So you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? And now this is for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It's interesting with the critical spirit. It's like we want to take control of the punishment, really. Like we want to, like we're so racked up about a particular thing and it's like it's not right, you know. And often it's because we we don't trust that God will one day judge the living and the dead. And so he's saying, like, this, people will stand before God. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. 
Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. One of the things, so like when we talk about a critical spirit or, or um, Jesus and, and, and the early church dealing with this, um, it's, not, it's, not a, um, it's not a culture unique to church, okay? There, there can be, all, you know, in workplaces and in families, this sort of vibe, this kind of judgy, critical spirit thing can take place in all sorts of areas, um, so it's not just unique to the church, but in, uh, obviously in the interest of our gathering today, uh, you know, the, Paul's talking to the church and saying, hey guys, you, you know, we need to lift our game here a bit. And, and why? Because like any sin, it's relationships that get screwed up through this. Um, particularly at the end there, he says, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I can't tell you how many times my soul's been deeply grieved because I've seen a younger Christian hang out with someone who's been in the church for a while who's developed a critical spirit and it just spreads. It's like they, this person who desperately needs this sort of community and like, I'm, now you're, we're going to talk in a second about the reality of this. Like, <laughs> there's plenty of reasons why Paul had to write this and we have to preach this. It's because like the reason that we all get together, like, this is God's idea, church, right? And part of the reason is because it's super annoying. It's super annoying. And the annoying thing about it is that it, like, you, if you do it properly, you'll bump some bruises, we'll get hit, and you'll get irritated at someone. Like that's normal. If you don't feel that, then you're playing relational games and you're hovering up here. You're not diving into real relationship. At some point, the honeymoon relationally will go over, be over and you'll have to work through the reality nitty-gritty stuff. And it will hit, you'll get irritated and bumps and bruises will get hit. And then it's like, and, and we're going to talk in a second, but like Jesus always in that moment is wanting to work in your heart, not fix the other person. <laughs> Right? And that's where it gets irritating. It's like, no, Jesus, they're in the wrong. Did you see what they said or the little thing they said or they looked at me sideways or whatever? And you get super irritated. And it's like, I want to deal to them. And Jesus is always like, let's talk about you. No, let's talk about them. No, let's do it. No, no, I don't care what it raises up in me. Or what, you know, and it's like, why did I react? Like, I don't want to know why I reacted. I don't want to go beneath the surface of my own life. I just want to get irritated. It feels good to sharpen the knives and get them out and, like, you know. It's very subtle how it works. And, and this is, and again, um, this is very powerful what John Tyson says in his book here. He says, we keep people at a distance. This is what a critical spirit kind of how it works. Very subtle. We keep people at a distance rather than offering hospitality. We're kind to their faces while criticizing them behind their backs. We leave meetings smiling only to get in the car and complain the whole way home. <laughs> Who, there's someone laughed. Who was that? When we set ourselves up as the judge, we create a relational framework in which others are the accused. This corrupts the love that God has shown us. Satan is the accuser of the brethren who points out the faults and failures of believers before God. Jesus is our advocate, our great high priest who stands up against those accusations and announces the verdict of grace over our lives. And when we walk around judging people rather than advocating for them, we facilitate the work of the enemy in their lives. How powerful is that? I hadn't seen it like that until I read that. I was like, whoa. 
So Jesus is advocating constantly. He's for you. How cool is that? Like that truth is just epic. He's for you. Love what Sharon said. There's no like shame. He doesn't want shame. He's like for you. He wants to lead you to places of grace and freedom. It's the enemy that wants to accuse all the time. And then when we kind of sit there and get, you know, and have our little bees and moans. See what I did there? I abbreviated because I'm a pastor. Our bees and moans hitches and moans uh, with other people, uh, then uh, we facilitate the work of enemy in their lives. When we read the Gospels, we find it wasn't the immoral, but the self-righteous who were the biggest hindrance to the mission of Jesus in the world. And then I love John Tyson. He says, I shudder when I realize how much of that judgmentalism has seeped into my heart. Good on him. And I just, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands about what resonated there in terms of the, the naughty list, um, but I will raise my hand to say I've been that guy. I've been that guy lots of, way too many times. Um, and as a pastor, the most painful moments of my pastoring have experience have been um, on the receiving end of the vibes because people that have the spirit don't talk to you normally. You just get vibes, and it's been the most wounding part of being a pastor, if I'm honest, over the last 17 years that has required me to discover what it means to find my refuge in the Lord, like David said time and time again. As part of being a leader, it's not easy, but um, it's, it's, um, it's been, been really hard at times. And I know far too many pastors who have walked away from the role because of the Spirit. I know, honestly, I could just, many, many pastors, many pastors because of what they've gone through. And guys, our country needs strong churches with strong leaders. What we dis- no one wins when their critical spirit just starts kind of getting traction in a church or in any community for that matter. But and again, in the case of today's little corridor, you know, no, no one wins. Churches get devastated. People get hurt. And the mission of God slows right down. And it's very subtle how it, it creeps in. And I want to be up front here like, and say, I'm not saying there are not issues. So the pendulum swing gets super unhealthy as well. Is like when we're singing the Lego song, while the, you know, everything is awesome, everything is cool, and, while, while, you know, the, the house burns around us. It's like, hey, you know. Um, I, I've counseled people to leave communities, including faith communities, you know. Again, this when it comes into the discernment thing. Bonhoeffer said, if you board the wrong train, it's no use uh, running along the corridor in the other direction. <laughs> like if that train's going off a cliff, there's no point running the other way going, oh, you know, I'm in here trying to change the culture. And it's like, well, no, the train's kind of <laughs> left the station, buddy. Get off the train, man, you know. Um, and at times, you know, uh, certain, envi- you know, I'm like uh, in workplaces or in, ch- in, in, in any community, it's like it's just not healthy for your soul to be there. And so uh, you should, you should um, leave you know, that circle of friends or that job or that church, whatever. But for the most part, um, it's important that we, like that decision is a big one and should never be made in isolation. Like all of, all of this stuff requires enormous wisdom as we talk about big boy and girl stuff today, right? Uh, it requires enormous wisdom about how we navigate this stuff relationally. And those decisions shouldn't be made in isolation. They shouldn't be made uh, on a whim. They shouldn't, certainly shouldn't be made when you're feeling angry. So I read somewhere this week, I can't remember where, that says like, anger is like a form of temporary insanity, Oh man, that is so true. And like the decisions, <laughs> the number of times Jen's backed me off the cliff. <laughs> yeah, why don't we just see how you feel tomorrow? <laughs> it's like, and it's like, let's not make any big calls right now, you know, um, which is really good. Um, and the priorities are, with, with God and his kingdom are always relationship, 
always mercy and love as the supreme uh, motivation for decisions and all that we do. James uh, 1.19 to 20 says, You must understand this, my beloved, that everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Um, quick to listen is a, is a lovely little phrase there, and it, it means, I think, that you ask, um, quick to listen is to ask good questions. Quick to listen is, is, involves asking good questions, because often, you know, the Proverbs say that presumption leads to strife. My mum's drilled that into me over the years. It's one of her favourite Proverbs. Presumption leads to strife. So often we get a little bit of the story, build the rest, and then we have a whole lot of strife, right? Being there stacks times. Like, so you get pick up a piece of thing. And it's like, so, presumpt, so rather than work in presumption, it's like, how about I have the maturity, and again, us Kiwis have got a lot to learn relationally, and, and as a church, we want to mature in this, where we actually try and find out a bunch more information, and maybe we'll discover that our presumptions were off. And therefore, that'll lower the strife. You know, with understanding comes grace. And when often I've been all rucked up about something and I've, you know, I'm going to sit down with a coffee and have a real good, honest chat about whatever. And so, but I start because I'm trying to be a good pastor, but ask them how they're doing and what's happening in your life. And we start, and then like by the time like 15 minutes are in, I've melted and I've just got nothing but compassion and I feel terrible about thinking whatever I thought about this particular person because they're going through hell and back and I had no idea. And of course, that little comment was actually very gracious in the context of what they're going through, blah, blah, you know what I mean? Quick to listen. Quick to listen, slow to anger. John Tyson again, when a judgmental spirit takes over your life, it will creep into every facet of your being. Like any addiction, it's not merely something you do, it's something you are. You don't merely judge people, you actually become judgmental. It's a spiritual deformation. We judge others' preferences. We no longer value them for what they like, but for what they, uh, sorry, for what they are like, but for what they like. We judge others' theology. We show contempt for those who don't interpret Scripture through our lens. We judge others' motives. We doubt the intentions behind the behavior we see. We judge others' successes. We assume their level of achievement cannot come without compromise or favoritism. Again, the list goes on. <laughs> oh, what a light moment we're having this morning. <laughs> so Matthew 7, uh, Jesus says a very famous passage here. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, Ken, let's just get some stuff here, clear here because I've heard way too many times people basically say, I'm going to deal with the log in my eye and ignore the speck in yours. So like, you know what the most loving the most loved I've felt over the last 17 years and the most formed I've been spiritually, the most transforming conversations I've had is when people have had the courage to love me enough to gently and with love and mercy challenge me on some blind spots in my own character. Like they haven't been easy conversations to hear and my initial reaction isn't normally like, oh yes, of course, you're so, I've never seen it like that. No, 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 no. And, it's like, and then it's about a month later I'm like, whoa. Oh my gosh, that's so true, you know. And so I'm so grateful for those conversations because, again, this is what love looks like in the context of relationship. What and in the right moment, trying to do all that was wise. We can never get the process perfect, but you know, we try. But this is but but what Jesus is saying here is is actually like 
the people that I trust to speak into my life are people that have taken a massive journey to deal with their own logs. And I can, and they've done that journey by being on the receiving end of those very same conversations. They've, been, they've taken that journey because they've been prepared to, uh, to, uh, to be able to identify, uh, they've gone through the process of being able to identify uh, their, their brokenness and work through some of it. They can articulately talk through their mistakes and their brokenness. They're often people that have gone to counselling. There's a humility that accompanies someone that's recognised there's some logs in their own eyes. And so this is what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's not saying don't ever go up to somebody and say, hey, mate, I wonder whether you could have been a bit more gentle there. Well, that's judging, you can't do that. So no, he's saying do that, but make sure you've done a massive inner journey yourself to work through your own brokenness and your own character flaws and the, and the things that have, the ways you've hurt people and you've worked through that. And, uh, and those are the people that you can trust. Those are the people I would encourage you to invite to speak into your life. Hey, I want you to help me. Because if we don't, it distorts our vision. And this is what Jesus, you can't see people without actually taking that process yourself. Like if you, if you, haven't taken that journey, you have no right to speak into other people's lives because your, your vision's incredibly distorted about where you're at. And it messes up relationships when people haven't taken this journey. Philip Yancey, and uh, what's so amazing about grace is this, when I am tempted to recoil in horror from sinners from different people, I remember what it must have been like for Jesus to live on earth. Perfect, sinless, Jesus had every right to be repulsed by the behavior of those around them. Yet he treated notorious sinners with mercy, not judgment. One has been touched by grace, will no longer look on those who stray as those evil people or those people who need our help. Nor must we search for signs of love worthiness. Grace teaches us that God loves because of who God is, not because of who we are. He loves them, he loves you, uh, and that's uh, the way of love. And as uh, James 2 verse 13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, in those really raw times, uh, you know, let's be honest, no one's ever changed because of judgment. Like, no one's ever gone, oh, you know, when you get in there with horrible judgy vibes or you listen to some horrible condemning sermon and I pray it's not this one, um, you know, and it's just like, ugh, you just feel like rats. And it's like, no one's, no one's changed, but man, mercy, mercy changes you, eh? Mercy changes you. There have been times, you know, in my, certain, my early years walking with the Lord where I would have to confess some stuff to friends and I would be so fearful about what they would think of me and, and how they would react. And mercy changed me. Mer- their mercy. It was their mercy that started healing my, my broken heart. It's mercy. We all long for this. We all long for this. We judge others by our. Um, we judge others by our intentions. Uh, we we want to. We judge ourselves. Sorry, by our intentions and others by their behaviour. Right. So we we judge ourselves on our intentions. Oh, I got it a bit wrong, but my, I was, I've got a good heart and I was trying to do my best. They, we judge others by their behaviours. <laughs> That's so true. Um, anyway, John Tyson on that uh, mercy trumps over judgment passage says this: triumph indicates battle. For mercy to burst forth in our lives, it will have to defeat something, and that something is judgment. These are the forces at war in the human heart. Mercy must defeat the desire to be right, the desire to criticize, the desire to judge, the desire to point out fault. The way of mercy is the way of Jesus, and this is the way we all long for. Oh.
I think in our desire that people would grow up a bit in their faith, that we um, forget that God's incredibly patient. And, and you know, what will happen as you mature um, in your walk with the Lord and as you mature as a parent or whatever it may be, is you'll see other people that are further back down the track with a lot more clarity. This is why you need so much humility. Like as you get more, as you work through more of your stuff, you can begin to see brokenness in others with greater clarity. It's just, it's, and what happens is that we forget that Jesus took us through like 12 different doors of process to bring us to this place of maturity and insight. And what we want to do is grab someone and go, and just bring them up to here. And again, that's that judging thing, that's that, that uh, and a lot of it's a lack of um, trust in God's process. We just want to get in there and fix people. And uh, if, if you're going to learn anything following Jesus and caring for others, is that you're going to need a lot of patience. I just think every single sermon I preach is going to totally fix our whole church every week. Oh man, good. No, they're going to come this week. We'll get us sorted and then it's just going to be gravy from now on in. Now I've been preaching my guts out for 17 years and most people just still tick along, you know. He's patient. Isn't that nice though? He's just patient. He's patient with us. And we don't know when the right time is to begin a deep heart work that often all of us at some point have to go through, but he does. He's got a perspective we don't. So it'd be some random comment, a little sermon or something that happens and it's the right time to begin to work through something that's very broken within us. It's his mercy. It's his mercy that leads us into wholeness in life. Oh, this is who he is. Oh, I've got to be careful on time here. I promised myself this week we are going to... Um, I, okay, um, I'm just trying to work out how to chop up my sermon. Oh, two, two last little things. Um, the first glimpse of God's mercy came when Moses asked God, show me your glory. And in one of the most important passages in the Bible, after Moses has asked God to show him his glory, God answers, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Listen, get this. When asked to show his glory, God puts his goodness and grace and mercy on display. This is who I am. I'm good, I'm gracious, and I'm merciful. You want to see my glory? That's what it is. Worship team. His grace and his mercy shine as the apex of his glory. I finish with this story. Uh, In this book, Streams of Mercy, a guy called Mark Rutland tells the story of being invited to a hospital at the height of the AIDS epidemic to minister to the deathbed of a young gay man who was dying from the disease. And this uh, young man said, you must hate me, he said to Rutland. And uh, Rutland was like, why would I hate you? And he, he replied, I've had several thousand men as lovers since I was 12. And Rutland shared with the young man about God's love and his grace and how God, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to save the world and not condemn it. And expecting to find judgment, but finding love instead, the young man surrendered his life to Christ. Knowing he would shortly die, he asked Rutland to preach at his funeral. And Rutland felt insecure and overwhelmed. What would a Christian pastor say to a room full of people who had been burnt by the church? At my funeral, he said, there'll be a lot of gays. Preach, this young man said, and his voice trailed off. What, Rutland urged him? And he said, preach on what? He said, mercy, preach on mercy. 
Mercy, that is the message the world aches to hear. Again, John Tyson, may we preach mercy to those who feel like spiritual failures. May we preach mercy to those burdened by the bitterness of sin. May we preach mercy to those who feel as though they will never measure up. May we preach mercy to those shut out of the kingdom of heaven. May we preach mercy to those who think they don't deserve it. And may we preach mercy to our own hearts as we learn to receive the kindness of God expressed in the scandal of grace. Amen, amen, and amen. May we, pre- may we be people of mercy. This will, impact, uh, this will impact our lives. And it is a lighter yoke. It is a lighter yoke than the heavy weight of judgment. Like this morning, God wants to lift that off us. A lot of us have been carrying it around. And, sometimes, and we don't even see it. This is why it's a sin that distorts our vision. We often don't even see it. But as we open the Word this morning and it kind of reveals a whole lot of stuff, it's like, Oh man, it is so much more lovely to walk in the way of mercy and let him be the judge. And let him be the judge. We are the ones that walk in mercy. I, I, I finish with this, indulge me, this last story. John Tyson beautifully and vulnerably says this at the end of this chapter. He says, I recently caught up with a friend whom I hadn't seen in more than 20 years. I was a touch nervous to meet him. The last time we had spoken, I had the condescension of a Pharisee and a self-righteous smirk that makes me cringe upon recollection. I was aggressive and rude to people who were dealing with incredible heartache and wrestling deeply with their faith. I said a lot of horrible things in that season of my life, and I look back on that time with sadness. When my friend and I got together, we caught up on the last couple of decades, and after an enjoyable conversation, I let him know that I had to leave. And that's when he asked me this final question, what's happened to you, John? He said, you're nothing like I remember. You've become so kind. I was dumbfounded and unsure how to respond, but as I left that meeting and walked down the street, tears flowed down my face. What had happened? It's simple. Jesus lifted the burden of judgment from my heart and replaced it with mercy. He freed me from the weight of having to judge the world, and he fitted me with a yoke of kindness that is graciously light. And when I pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, he answered my prayer, for God's name is mercy. So as we come into land this morning, I want, us to, uh, I want to invite us to do three things. Uh, firstly, um, there's an inner Pharisee in all of us that needs to die, right? And if you don't think you've got an inner Pharisee, then crikey, you're in real trouble, okay? Like that's Jesus just pretty much every, lots of parables he would just try and point out. You don't think you're one, then you most likely are a big one, you know? So it's like, so uh, there's an invitation for us to kill the inner Pharisee. And how do we do that? By, humbling, by humbly repenting of a critical spirit and a judgmental attitude. That's how you kill the inner Pharisee. That's how you take the log out of your own eye. We repent. We repent. And... We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I can feel it on me even now. It's like there are conversations I need to repent of this morning. And I'm going to, I'm going to kneel down here. I don't care if no one joins me. And I'm going to repent. Some of the things I've said, some of the things I've thought. I don't want a critical spirit. I want to, have, I want to be a pastor that's drenched in mercy and kindness. So that's the first invitation, and it's a real easy one. Um, some of us are carrying deep wounds from the judgment of others. We've felt, we've felt it, and it's really hurt. And this morning, rather than 
carrying that any longer, that we'll just lay that burden down at the foot of the cross. So Heavenly Father, come and bring your healing. And so if you've, if some of you guys, have, I know I've done deep, deep work processing the pain of betrayal and the pain of rejection and the pain of being vulnerable and then finding judgment, not mercy. And so uh, I want, again, to invite you to come up and we're just going to um, ask the Lord to bring healing and that the Heavenly Father will just embrace you and that the words of Jesus would um, heal you because he knows what it feels like to, to be on the receiving end of all that stuff. He went through it. And lastly, there are those of us, as we went through that list, who feel like spiritual failures, who are burdened by the bitterness of sin, those who feel as if they'll never measure up. And, uh, and, uh, and for those of us that just feel like, man, we couldn't, that struggle of believing that we could, that mercy is for us. You think, oh, maybe it's for the other person that's not as naughty as me. That's the wrestle, right? But for you, and some of it's been secret stuff, and some of it people have seen, but it's like this morning that you would experience that mercy, that you wouldn't be like worried about coming to Jesus, you'd run to him, because <laughs> he's, he, he's not like the other guys. <laughs> he's your advocate, and he's, he'll just pour out mercy upon you. How good's that? That's why we took communion, that's why we take it every week. Let's stand together.